Hi everyone, great to be with you again today. Last week we looked at three young men in ancient Babylon who were thrown into their fire because of their faith in God and their refusal to worship anyone else. Such was their trust in God that they took their stand for God and left the outcome up to God. They didn't escape the fire, but God was with them in the fire. Now you might say, that's all very well for those three guys that centuries ago in an ancient land. What about the fire of suffering that I'm going through? Maybe that's physical suffering. Maybe that's emotional turmoil. Maybe that's financial difficulties, trouble at work, mental suffering, maybe suffering through this coronavirus situation that we're going through. How is my faith meant to cope with all that? And if you're not a Christian yet, you might be wondering, what has the Christian faith got to say about all the suffering that's going on around us and in my own life? Well, hence this new series we're starting today, Faith in the Fire. We're going to look at this to help us develop a healthy theology of suffering, to help us be able to face times of difficulty without our faith crumbling and to see how our faith in God helps us and equips us to stand when life gets very difficult. Today we're going to look at that phrase, a healthy theology of suffering. And then in future weeks, we're going to look at particular aspects of how people suffer, be it anxiety, disappointment, temptation, illness, and so on. Here's the stark reality about life. Either life is difficult for you now, or life will be difficult at some point, at least in the future. Most of the time, I think you'd agree, life is a mixture of the beautiful things and the difficult things. Now, I don't think any of those assessments are a negative one at all. Life is wonderful, but that's just the reality of how things are in this world of ours. I wonder for you, which is the dominant facet at the moment? Is it the beautiful things of life or is it the difficult suffering part of life that's predominant for you just now? So if life is tough now, how does the Christian faith equip us to deal with it and make sense of it? If life's going to be tough in the future, how will the Christian faith ensure that our faith remains solid in God and robust when the pressure and weight of difficulty comes upon us? Last year, I entered dialogue by email with uh, a member of CityGate Church, and uh, that person not only has suffered a great deal physically and mentally themselves, but they were also caring for two very elderly parents, one of whom sadly has now passed away and the other of whom is very close to death just right now. In one of the emails, this person wrote this to me. Having a theology of suffering that sits alongside a theology of healing is something I'm just exploring. My background is oncology nursing, so it's familiar ground. I have absolutely no doubt in God's ability to heal. I'm just conscious he doesn't always do so. And I'm interested in that balance and how I can best live that out. Well, one of my replies was this. As a pastor for 25 years, 
it's a subject that has interested me a great deal. I've had to care for a lot of people through all sorts of things, and I've spoken about suffering many times. I'm convinced, I wrote, that any theology of healing on deliverance from suffering must work hand in hand with a theology of suffering. Now, I wonder how you feel about that phrase, a healthy theology of suffering. Perhaps you're glad someone is recognising that and able to say that honestly. Or perhaps for you, such a concept has no place in any thought of theology at all. But I think what Helmut Thielicke, a 20th century German pastor, observed resonates with me. He went on a lengthy tour of the US speaking all over the place. And at the end of it, he was asked what he'd observed as the greatest deficiency of American Christians at the time. His reply was fascinating. He said, they have an inadequate view of suffering. I guess you could say the same for Christians and churches, perhaps in the UK too. Now, let me make a generalisation. I believe there are two opposite and equally unhealthy theologies of suffering that we should avoid. On the one hand, there's cynicism and, and pessimism and negativity. The idea that this life is just going to be a struggle um, until, well, phew, at last we get released from it and go to be with God in his presence forever. There, now, there are so many things wrong with a negative view of things like that. But on the other hand, I think we should also avoid triumphalism. Pessimism on the one hand, triumphalism on the other hand. The idea that God's design for his people is that they should always avoid suffering, that with enough faith and trust in him, God will allow them to avoid suffering. Equally unhelpful, I think. I remember in 2016 seeing an advert for a Christian conference. Here was the banner. Come as you are, leave as you always wanted to be. I think that's setting up people with false hope and expectation. I'm convinced that any honest reading of the New Testament leaves you with a joy and tears conclusion, leaves you with a now and not yet theology. So I believe the church must be a place for both celebrating with those for whom God has delivered miraculously out of difficulty and suffering, but also a place equally for comforting those who, for whatever reason, God hasn't yet delivered from suffering. It must be a safe place for both types of situation. The person I've been dialoguing with last year also said this, the buoyancy and emphasis of healing at church is something I'm not finding particularly easy at the moment. Now, there was no hint, I can promise you, of any negativity in that or any complaint that we were praying for healing. So we should be praying in faith that God will miraculously intervene in all sorts of situations. But they were finding it tough as someone with long-term suffering. A friend of their family had commented to this person a while before because of their own suffering, had said this, I have this many people, a broad number of people, I can talk to about my healing, but I have this many people 
I can talk to about my dying. I want us to be able to talk about both with equal openness and with equal faith, to have a stronger theology of healing, of rescue, of deliverance, that God miraculously does intervene, and also a stronger theology of God's goodness in and through our suffering. So let me offer you a very simple framework within which to develop a healthy theology of suffering. It's this, certainty and mystery, certainty and mystery. I wonder when you read the Bible, whether you love those concrete, certain, definite, sure things that it contains, that God created the world, that Jesus really came, that Jesus lived and died and rose again and ascended and lives now, that we are right with God through Christ's work. Those certain definite things are the foundation of our faith. We love those things. What about those parts where you read and they just raise just raises more questions than answers, to be honest, where there's a great deal of mystery, where you can't easily and neatly fit it into a theological box, those parts of Scripture. I wonder how you feel about those sometimes. I've been reading through the Gospel of Luke um, uh, lately, and I'll tell you, frequently you're coming up against sections of what Jesus has done or what he says that just don't fit neatly in a box, and they challenge our thinking, and some of it is very concrete and certain, but some of it I'm left wondering with a bit of mystery. A mature Christian faith has so much to be certain about, who he is, what he's done, what's to come. Yet a mature Christian faith is also able to handle mystery. If you meet a Christian for whom everything is certain, they've nailed down everything, everything fits in nice neat boxes, there's no sense of mystery about prayer or suffering or whatever, then I think you've got reason to be cautious about what they're saying. But on the other hand, if there's so much mystery that there's nothing to be certain about, then you'll have someone with very little foundation to stand on. Mystery and certainty is a mature faith. So one danger of an inadequate theology of suffering, to use Tilika's term, is that we try to create certainty that's just not given in the Bible. God leaves space for mystery in his word. And if we try and fill those gaps too tightly with certainty that he hasn't given us, then I think we can fall into difficulty. Take, for example, the area of physical suffering or of healing. Simplistic, one-size-fits-all explanations are rarely helpful. The ways of God just don't fit so neatly. Philip Yancey is a well-known Christian writer, and he wrote a book a few years ago called Where is God When It Hurts? In that book, he wrote of John and Claudia. John and Claudia had, uh, were in their 20s, and they had just been married for a year when Claudia was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, cancer of the lymph glands. And she was given a 50% chance of survival. It was a tragic situation, devastating to them. She had a big operation and then repeated ongoing radiation treatment. 
while she was in the hospital, five people from her church came to visit. She was hoping for some encouragement from them, but she didn't really get any. The first person came and provided their little bit of certainty about her suffering. And they said, something in your life must displease God. You must have sinned. A second person just avoided any talk of Claudia's illness, bringing what they thought was a bit of Christian cheeriness, but actually thoroughly shallow. The third person, third visitor, said to her that sickness is never God's will. Claudia, if you just have enough faith, God will deliver you from your suffering. That person's bit of certainty applied to the mystery. The fourth person said to her, Claudia, you need to come to the place where you can say, God, I love you for making me suffer like this. I praise you for allowing me to experience this. That was their answer. And the fifth person, her pastor actually, came to Claudia and said, you have been chosen to suffer because of your strength and integrity. He will reward you and use you as an example to others. Now, I think each of those are trying to provide some certainty where there is actually mystery. They're all partially true. There's some truth in each of those. But none of those supposed certainties and answers was really very biblical or helpful. None was able to offer any true comfort. Claudia was just left confused and discouraged. But here's what a healthy Christian theology of suffering equips us to do. To hold on to certainty amidst the mystery. To hold on to the certainty amidst the mystery. See, there's so much to be certain about as a Christian. That God, the good, loving creator God exists and is alive and well. That he loves us deeply, that he cares intimately about us, that he knows our every breath and every move. He's that interested and concerned about us, that he's present with us, that Jesus truly has made us righteous by his life and death and resurrection. But the mystery remains. And all the painful why questions find their rest in that certainty. That's been true for Helen. In August of 1992, I went through a time in my life where I had to be solely reliant on God. I was in a London hospital awaiting a second spinal operation following a car accident. This was probably the first time in my life I was completely alone, without family, friends, or even my church family for support. I remember feeling pretty desperate, very alone, afraid, completely isolated, over two hours away from my two young girls. I think any mum who has had to spend any length of time separated from her children will understand that pain was far worse than any physical pain I was going through. But God used this as a very special time both in my relationship with him and my understanding of him as a loving father. I love spending time with him in music and I found reading the Psalms brought a new comfort I hadn't known before. 
For example, Psalm 91 showed me he was my refuge and my fortress. I really could trust him with everything I was going through. He would protect me, deliver me and honour me. He even commanded his angels to guard over me. During the next few months, I certainly had time to prove his faithfulness and his promises to be true. And I always felt loved, secure and protected. It would have been so easy for God to magically remove this season in my life. But how much more amazing to grow through this difficult valley, knowing he was with me, guiding me every step of the way. So I believe the Christian faith is unashamedly certain about so many things. I'm also sure that the Bible speaks candidly of mystery, that there are some things that can't just be explained in nice, neat, formulaic, tidy terms. The mature Christian holds scripture with scripture, embracing the full range of experiences as presented in the Bible. And the mature church similarly avoids being selective in its reading of the Bible and in the stories it celebrates. Let's take a very quick look at Acts chapter 12, a little story there. It's a comical scene, actually. Peter is in prison, uh, probably going to be um, uh, executed for his faith in God, and the church are praying for him. Peter miraculously escapes from prison, and he goes to the house where the church had been praying, knocks on the door, girl comes to answer the door, and uh, sees it's Peter and just slams the door in his face, despite the fact they've been praying for him. Well, she goes back and tells the rest of the household that uh, Peter's been released from prison and they say, you're talking nonsense. It's, it's a hilarious scene. In the end, Peter comes in. He has been miraculously, God has released him from his suffering and from imprisonment. But in the verse before that passage talks about Peter, it says this, that James, the brother of John, was beheaded for his faith. Now, I'm sure the church had been praying for him as well. But what do you do with that passage? Peter gets released. James has been beheaded. There's mystery in the brutal murder of one and the deliverance of another, all of which is happening under God's sovereign rule. But you have to read about James as well as Peter. And the Bible is not embarrassed about presenting that to us side by side in that passage. Now we all know something of Acts chapter 12 in our own experience. We, we pray for two who are ill. One improves, the other dies. We pray for two who are unemployed. One gets the job, the other one's still looking. We pray for two who'd like to marry. One finds a spouse and the other doesn't. One time I pray and God says yes. Another time he seems to say no or not yet. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, another part in the New Testament. In Hebrews 11, a magnificent chapter of heroes of the faith, verses 4 to 35a are like, a, like an Old Testament match of the day highlights package. It's an amazing section. By faith, it says, Noah built the ark and saved his family from the flood. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did that. By faith, the Red Sea was parted. By faith, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Wow, it's amazing what faith can do. 
And that is absolutely right. But you have to read on. There's a change halfway through verse 35, which says this. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And then verse 39, the next statement says this. These were all commended for their faith. It's not that the first lot who did so well and did such amazing things were full of faith and then, well, the sorry, second lot were not so good. No, these were all commended for their faith. Great faith makes it stand for God, is obedient to God, is greatly blessed by God, but doesn't guarantee God will keep us from suffering. All of that great chapter, those heroes were full of faith with very different outcomes. God will not keep us necessarily from suffering, at least not in this life. So let's end up in Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23, famous passage. I want you to notice, as I read a bit of it, I want you to notice the certainties amidst the trouble and the uncertainty in that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Did you notice the certainties in that? But let's notice particularly where Psalm 23 ends with these words. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a great perspective. That's a Christian perspective. You see, the modern Western world, in fact, possibly the modern Western Christian, has become very short-sighted. But a healthy theology of suffering looks up to see a destination in sight, as we'll see at the end of this series. All will be well. That is the victory that Jesus has won for us. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of this life. And for eternity, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, where we will experience the presence of God in all its fullness and a complete absence of sin and sadness and suffering. This is a healthy Christian theology of suffering. This is the Christian faith that equips us with certainty in the midst of mystery and suffering. This is the God who is with us through it all and who will deliver us from it all. Praise his name. There's going to be an opportunity for one-to-one -one prayer. If you like it at the end of this session, uh, please feel free to go on the link Below, you better click on there and find your way through to someone who would be very happy to pray with you. You might be really suffering just now. You might not be a Christian, but you're really suffering and you'd like someone to stand with you and ask God 
on your behalf, please feel free to go through. You will be very welcome to have someone pray with you. Rich is going to lead us in a song now, which helps us capture where Psalm 23 left us. You never let go. Thank you for listening. God bless you.